If some alien or some person who had been living under a rock for their whole lives came to me and said, what is a movie? I would say, oh, go watch this. Go watch Empire Strikes Back. You're listening to the Story Geeks Podcast, produced by the Reclamation Society. How would you describe Han, Luke, Leia, Vader in this film, and have they grown from what we saw in A New Hope, Daryl? Yeah, I think they've grown a lot. I think, you know, Han is more of a team player. He cares more about the people around him. He's not just in things for himself anymore. He sees what it's like to be part of something bigger and fight for something bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Leia is, you know, she's growing into General Organa. You know, like she's becoming that figure. And, um, and you know, she's coming from her whole world being destroyed and sort of finding... A new hope, not to be, not to have a pun, but <laughs> you know, yeah, sort of becoming part of this battle and finding hope in that. And Luke has clearly grown from like the you know the moisture farm kid to coming out and being a very competent leader and somebody that inspires the people around him. And they've all grown much closer together too. Like mm. they're becoming much more of a family. Um. And I think you see growth in Vader, too. It's twisted, and it's kind of weird, but he um, he's growing in that, you know, he wants Luke to be part of what he's doing. Right. And they kind of, they won't give up on each other. Mm-hmm. You know, Luke's is a little bit more of the traditional, I'm not going to give up on you, <laughs> whereas Vader's is a little bit more messed up. But you definitely see them all growing closer together as a group of characters Mm. and a group of people who are interacting with each other and it makes i think that's part of what makes this such a good movie you know it's not just these different types of people who are thrown together in a battle like they are really interrelating to each other and it's having an effect on the story and it's affecting their choices and what they do and i think it that's part of why this movie's so good Mm. that's good what do you think, Megan? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of going off of that. They they have really grown a lot in the in the time that we've seen. You know, sort of um, between A New Hope and the start of this movie. Um, Khan, in particular, as you pointed out, he's. Uh, I mean, he could have very well just left again right after uh, right after the events of A New Hope. He could have, uh, you know, taken off and. Uh, taking care of himself and just gone back to doing what he was doing like just because he came in to save the day he had no obligation to stay after that but he did because he had developed this really um, he had developed this connection with Luke and Leia and uh, and I would say even C-3PO and R2-D2 and the rest of the resistance Um, and you can tell he's he's in it yeah I mean greater good and all that stuff but you can tell like his connection is because of them and at the beginning of the movie you know he's he's making this point of like i have to leave guys there's a bounty hunter on my tail um i have to leave and go take care of my my thing with job of the hut like i'll come back but i really got to take care of this and leia of all people is the one that's most upset by this even though like it's a very natural thing it's like hey i can't help anybody before i help myself um, and I think, like, there's a lot of conventional wisdom in that, too. Um, 
and so like but even even so before he leaves like when it turns out that luke has gone missing he sticks around um and and ends up saving luke's life like if he hadn't stuck around luke probably would have frozen to death or the the force would have had to find some other way of being able to save him (laughs) um so yeah han has really grown a lot and it's fun and we'll we'll get into this a little bit later um but it's it's fun seeing how his connection with his friends has developed and how how a different connection with leia sort of is evolving as well um, Leia and Luke in particular, I think, are really, it's really interesting to look at both of them, as you pointed out, in terms of loss, because they both lost everything, um, up until this point, you know, Luke's aunt and uncle are gone, his farm, home, home doesn't exist anymore, um, for both of these characters, um, and so they have both become soldiers in the, not, not just like, um, you know, young scrappy rap scrappy rebels they are straight up soldiers when we start off in uh, at the beginning of this film um so it's interesting to see how and and i think that's one of the reasons why leia is is the most upset when han wants to leave um because they are soldiers and they have a mission and right now that's kind of all she has in her life to cling to is the mission because her her home and everyone she's ever known and loved is gone um and so, like, I, I definitely think that that's one of the reasons why she's the most upset when Han wants to leave, because how could anybody be concerned with anything that isn't the mission, um, you know, in her mind, that sort of deal. Uh, not to mention that, obviously, she's harboring feelings for him, too, but uh, neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> Vader is really interesting, because you have him at the very beginning of this movie gunning for the rebels because not only did they lose in the last fight he was straight up like shamed at the end of a new hope because you know he just went spiraling out of control and something really interesting about this movie is that he and luke actually get to meet face to face for the first time you know they're not just in little ships um where they sort of have to sense one another like this is the first time they get to see each other face to face um, not only that, but we also see Vader not as the big bad that he's presented as in A New Hope. We see that he is actually the servant to somebody else um, when we're introduced to the Emperor for the first time. Um, and that, to me, is like probably the, the most interesting aspect of, of his dynamic in the film is that he's not the the big bad anymore he's just somebody else's lapdog and that is terrifying because he's so powerful um but then also yeah of course finding out um that he has this familial connection to our hero that is also kind of a mind-blowing revelation that we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about later so it's just really cool to see these characters that we've already been on an adventure with um in in such a different place and and to further and to further get development and that's something that i feel like a lot of movie sequels don't do very well in in a lot of modern times is that they're so focused on retreading the same story beats um from the original because it's like oh hey this is what everybody loves so we're doing it again or we're gonna put them in the same sort of situation um even if they had character development we're gonna make them backtrack all this way so we can relive the first movie um and i feel like that's a real disservice 
to the the stories of the originals and those characters. Like nothing nothing makes me more angry than when you kill off the hero from the first movie in like the first act of the second. Like that that infuriates me because it invalidates mm. um, basically everything we went through in the first one. Um, so so for me, I really like seeing that all of these characters are continuing to develop and grow as the series progresses. Yeah, and that, I think that's one of the reasons why the question even came up in my mind is just looking at the growth in each of them because you can see them kind of trying to cling to what they were in the first film, but even that's like slipping away from them. So like Hans Bravado is now sort of crumbling in a way because we're getting to know him and we're getting to know what's behind why he does what he does and he actually is kind of a responsible guy and he actually kind of goes to save people's lives whenever they're in trouble and um like you guys talked about already and i think uh leia is a fascinating one to me because in a new hope she is totally headstrong like unquestionably so um i think uh mike gordon talked about her like or maybe it was michael young Every single time she's introduced to a new character, she's like insults she's them. She's always sassy. Every yeah. single time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, and we, we really love her for that. But then the next thing we see as we see her in um, Empire is that she's still strong and resolved, but it's almost like this like smoldering, like I need to accomplish these things and I need to become more serious about it because it's not just about throwing insults across the table. Like we actually need to make some major headway in this battle in this war because we've lot, we've made some mistakes that have cost us dearly. Um, and so she seems more calculated in that, like both of them seem actually more humble. Uh, and I think that that's really fascinating when it comes to Vader. Uh, I like, I really like what you guys talked about and what I, what I found really interesting is Anakin was all about family. Right? Like the whole reason he turns to the dark side is because of his fear of losing Padme, which of course then turns into him losing Padme. But when he's introduced to the fact that, so he seems very cold to us when we're introduced to him in A New Hope and he stays cold throughout. But then when he's told, you have a son, all of a sudden there's this little tiny shift where it's like, he's still cold, but there's something underneath the surface that's like, wait a minute, I have a son? <laughs> we could rule the galaxy together. This is amazing, right? Like, there's there's just this little, this little like kernel of um, of hope in him, and he's going straight back to protecting his family, obviously, right? I mean, protecting them. He's still willing to <laughs> chop off some limbs, yeah. <laughs> but other than that, um, so I love the fact that just like you guys talked about, like we're drawing so much out of these character, these characters as they develop is so cool to me, um, and it's such such the reason why this is so important. Have, have you guys uh, watched any of the uh, internet series, How It Should Have Ended? Yeah. Yes. yes. Oh, my gosh. The one for, for Empire Strikes Back. What? I have a son? <laughs> this is wonderful. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <sighs> any other thoughts? Any other thoughts on that? Uh, just that, yeah. Just good forward momentum for a story, I think, is the best thing a sequel can do. Absolutely. So the next question is also about relationships. Um, we got a little bit into the character development, but also about how these characters' relationships are forming. Megan, it's your turn on this one first, but in the relationship between Han and Leia, it's quickly throughout Empire becoming a romantic relationship. So what are some of your thoughts on the courtship of Han and Leia? 
Well, I will say that um, prior to to what the information that we're given in um, Return of the Jedi, I will say that for better or worse, um, the first two films present this as not necessarily just on a relationship between Han and Leia, but as a love triangle <laughs> yeah. between Luke, Han, and Leia, which is so gross and upsetting <laughs> for so many reasons. Um, and they know, right? So, like, the writers knew that they were siblings, and because they I'm said, no, positive. there is another. I'm like, not positive they knew before. Well, then who's Yoda talking about? When he says no. I mean, he is yeah. talking about Leia. He He's talking about Leia, again, in the context that we get from movie three. But, like, yeah, I I don't know. I have a hard time uh, looking at, especially looking at the kisses um, in, in this movie, looking at it and going, like. <laughs> it's creepy. That it's was creepy. intentional, bro. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Ugh, ugh, just all of it. Ugh. Um, That's a really good point, yeah. That and because I watched these movies all out of order, um, you know, when I when I was introduced to this series, like that's when Luke and Leia find out that they're siblings and everything like that, and and so like um, I've always been presented with Luke and Leia, brother and sister, so I never I never felt any of the the love triangle aspect. But I'm trying to think of it in terms of how like I would have reacted seeing these movies sequentially in order. Um, and the way it's presented in movie one and movie two is as a love triangle. But I, to, to this movie's credit, like, she only kisses Luke because she's trying to make Han jealous. So, yeah, there is more of a focus on Han and Leia and their reluctance to say how much they actually care about one another. Um, and first of all, I have to say that in the hands of lesser actors, this would have come off as, like, super romantic comedy, you know, sort of <laughs> nonsense, where it's these two leads that don't have any chemistry and you don't believe they would actually get together. They start off hating each other. And It'd be then all like Attack it. of the clones <laughs> Yeah. It, yeah. You know, only because I'm so in love. Ugh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. It goes to show you that, like, a bad, bad direction can, can lead a good actor astray. Uh, bad direction and bad writing. <laughs> um, but these actors, like, it like they had such good chemistry together. Uh, Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher, just their chemistry is phenomenal, um, and it's it's a kind of chemistry that I feel like a lot of other movies and a lot of other actors try to capture and replicate but can't quite do, uh, and their chemistry is just so believable. And it's it's one of those things that like their characters and and this is one of the th reasons why I bring up like you know oh it's like a chick flick it could have been like a chick flick because they they start off hating each other but uh, it it comes off as more genuine and sincere in this series than it does in a lot of those and a lot of chick flicks because there's more at stake than just whether or not they get together. There's so much more at stake that love and romance isn't the priority. Um, and their, their verbal tete-a-tetes are, are more about, like, their stubbornness as characters than it is about, like, the, oh, will they, won't they? It's, it's about their stubbornness um, and how that relates to their current situation and how ultimately that 
that you know they end up together um, because of how they grow and change, not because the plot says they have to be together, but because they go like and you get that um during the, the you know the ending scene where she admits that like i love you and he's like i know i i love that harrison ford and the director had to fight to get that line in there because originally he was going to say i love you too um but that's not how that that wouldn't have been good for the progression of their relationship so i don't know i'm all about it yeah that's a great take what about you daryl yeah i mean pretty much ditto on all of that (laughs) the only thing i would add is i feel like the real testament to how good this relationship is and how much chemistry there is between the two of them comes in force awakens when you come back to this 30 years later and put the same two people on screen together without telling us anything that happened in between except Mm. for the fact that they had a son who went bad Mm -hmm. um and it totally works and you're like oh awesome yeah. There they are, you know? And they even had to, like, reteach Carrie Fisher how to act, apparently. <laughs> but but it just totally works. And so it's a testament to how good it is back in the beginning. But it does make me think, you know, in the interest of referencing funny things. <laughs> like, you mentioned how it should have ended, Megan. There's a... <laughs> There's another one called Bad Lip Reading. Have you seen any of those? Oh, I haven't seen the one for Empire, though. Well I, well, I haven't seen the one for Empire, but I'm thinking of the one for The Force Awakens. Oh. It is hilarious. <laughs> so funny. So people have a lot of YouTube to watch. They do. This. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Go, yep. go look up how it, go look up uh, Bad Lip Reading, The Force Awakens. You'll thank me. <laughs> it's worth it. Um... I don't have much to add to you guys either because I think that your take is is, is great um, on both sides of that. I think the one thing I was going to say is I think that I don't know if George Lucas did this intentionally or if it just happened this way or if, like you said, Megan, if these two actors brought this to the table, which I think maybe a little bit of all of that. Um, I mean, I don't know. George Lucas is not my favorite writer, even though I love Star Wars as one of my favorite universes and Indiana Jones, (laughs) both of which he has writing credits for. So I don't know what that says, but one of the things he does so well here is he was a good writer in the seventies. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. That's true. When (laughs) he had people tell him no. Film is a collaborative (laughs) process. Uh, Exactly. and, And a lot of what makes Star Wars so good is people contesting George Lucas on his choices. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, But what I love is we see the softening of Han and Leia. So I mentioned like that these things are starting to happen to them where they're softening. And we see that become real and realized as their relationship grows together. And I don't think the relationship is possible if they don't both soften to an extent. And in that softening and in that um, becoming humbler, if you will, humbler, more humble, I don't know. Either way, um, as their humility is increasing, <laughs> I feel like they are, that's what allows them to have this romantic relationship. Because if they didn't have that, it would just be, it would be those clashes, but those clashes would never turn in, into anything more um, substantial. Mm. So I think that that's one of the cool ways that that, that romantic relationship plays itself out. Um, all right, so moving on to the next question. Um, Daryl, you're going to tackle this one first. What makes the relationship between Han and Luke interesting? 
Um, I think they bring stuff out of each other mm. that they need. So, like, I think Han brings sort of this bravery and courage and willingness to take risks out of Luke. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think Luke sort of brings nobility and the willingness to trust people and care about other people out of Han. Mm. So they kind of sharpen each other yeah. and make each other better. Um, which is, I had not thought about this until now, but if you kind of look at Force Awakens, Luke's out of the picture and Han has gone back to his smuggling ways. Mm. You know? Yeah. That's an interesting correlation. I never thought about that before, but they definitely seem to make each other better. You know, Han has this very cynical edge to him, but he's also deep down, he's a good guy. And on the surface, when we when we're introduced to Han Solo, no, he's he's a scoundrel, he's a smuggler, he's a dirtbag, he he owes money to a lot of people, he's a criminal. Um, but because of Luke's youthful optimism, Luke is able to see the good in Han. And Luke is able to bring out the good in Han and maybe make Han do things that Han had assumed he wasn't capable of doing. Um, and we see that reflect positively when Han chooses to stay behind um, to go out and look for Luke. Um, and yeah, to, to his credit, he saved Luke's life at the beginning of this movie. And they both know that. And but because, the, and, and again, this is one of those things where the acting and visual storytelling do so much than hokey dialogue could have. Um, because Han, went, once Luke is fully recovered, he's like, hey, be careful. And Luke doesn't say thank you. Luke doesn't say, oh, your friendship means so much to me. He just smiles and nods. And you, you get everything about their relationship just in that brief interaction um, in terms of, like, where it's at in this point in time. They yeah, are cool. They are grateful to have each other in their lives. Absolutely. I think, I think of them like brothers, too. Yeah. You know, like, like Han is kind of like this o- older brother um, who's being super protective of his younger brother. And yet, like... Luke grows into a more powerful character, right? Like, um, it's almost like Luke should be watching out for Han. But even even through that relationship, Han is always looking out for him. And I think the love triangle that we talked about earlier is actually sort of an interesting take because at no time do you even see, despite the fact that Han is trying to um, woo Leia, right? Like, there's these moments where he's even saying, like, if if you if you love Luke, like, I'll leave you guys to it. Like, <laughs> so he's not he doesn't even want to betray Luke in that manner, right? Like, yeah. he still wants to look out for him. Um, so it's I think it's a really it's a really endearing relationship because it also shows us that Han is capable not only of falling in love, but he's also capable of starting to show brotherly love to his younger brother put somebody else before himself yeah Yeah. exactly exactly which is just fun um but we are going to talk about betrayal because (laughs) uh question number 12 you know landro lando betrays han pretty badly and the question i as i watched that i was like oh man like that's what does that look like has a friend ever betrayed you uh, and was your friendship ever able to recover from it? 
Um, and what what's necessary in order for you to recover from betrayal? So what do you what do you think, Megan? What does that look like? Um, well, whether whether or not I've personally been betrayed, I, I can honestly say none of my friends have ever sold me out to uh, to a galactic empire. <laughs> um, so I don't think uh, I've ever been betrayed on uh, on quite the same level. Um, the uh, a lot of in terms of, like everybody's face quote unquote betrayal in their own life, but I think for me personally, uh, the type of betrayal that I've um, that I've received is more of a like is more of a perceived betrayal. Um, it's one of those things where you know because we are just naturally narcissistic, like um, just uh, by nature, you immediately think of yourself as the victim. So growing up, it's like, oh, my friend told on me. Uh, (laughs) You know, I'm the victim here. My friend's a monster. Or like uh, professionally speaking, even now, it's like, oh, my friend didn't pick me to be in part of this this project. Oh, I'm so betrayed. And like, (laughs) that's really, that's really petty and silly. So I think in my mind, most of the betrayals that I, I have received are, are 100% perceived (laughs) as opposed to actual betrayals. Um, like I I definitely remember a couple years ago, I wasn't picked to be a part of like this one press project. And I was just like, Oh, this is because my, my friend, um, is totally resents me uh, for for this you know thing that I did, and when in fact that might not at all have been the case. Like it might have just been like, oh, I just thought you didn't want to do that. Oh, <laughs> my bad. Um, so I I think in terms of like being able to move on from a betrayal, it's one of those things where you have to put yourself in your friend's shoes and ask yourself, well, okay. Why did they, why did they quote unquote betray me? Um, what, like, was it a betrayal, you know, was it a perceived betrayal on their part? Like, did they feel guilty about doing this thing to me? Um, and obviously it's going to vary from circumstance to circumstance, but usually when people do things, there's a reason for it. So you have to kind of figure out, okay, well, what was the reason for this person doing this, um, for betraying me? And if you can put yourself in their shoes and determine that, like, oh, this wasn't necessarily a betrayal. This was um, this was their best option, you know, given their choices. Then I think that makes forgiveness and moving on a lot easier. But I'm also not going to I'm not going to victim blame here either and say that sometimes people are just they do not great things. People can be mean and people can be petty and stupid um, and make irrational not cool choices or selfish choices and if you feel betrayed by by your friend you know making a selfish choice like that first of all you have to ask yourself whether or not this person is actually a friend and if the answer is yes whether or not that that friendship is worth maintaining first and foremost um and if it is then forgiveness is a key component to repairing that friendship in the same way that remorse on your friend's part should also be a key component. They should feel bad for what they did, and you should be able to forgive them. Um, if uh, if they don't have any remorse, then that puts way more onus on you, and that's sort of a judgment call on your part, again, about whether or not the friendship is actually worth maintaining. So right, that's, right. That, that's my two cents on it. Yes. Yeah, 
That's like five cents. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Daryl? I don't, I mean, I think about betrayal and I think that there's some level of premeditation to that. Mm. That's how it feels to me. So from that perspective, I don't, I don't know that I've ever been quote unquote betrayed by sure, a friend. Sure. Yeah. I've been disregarded mm. and I've been disrespected and mistreated. I don't know that they ever set out to do that to me, mm. you know. But um, yeah, that starts to get to like levels of like being a sociopath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In which case, cut those people out of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. And but I mean, like you were saying, a forgiveness is really is the way to move forward. And you know whether or not the relationship gets repaired, mm. that's kind of a different issue. Mm. You would hope that it does. You would hope that there'd be some redemption there. But sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes there's permanent changes, and that's appropriate. Right. But forgiveness is what allows me as the quote unquote victim, you know, to move forward. You know, like I'm not forgiving them for their sake. I'm forgiving them because that's what I should do. And that's how I move forward. And that's how I stop dwelling on this. Right, 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 right. Those are really great. Um, I know that. And I agree with that that context too. I think the forgiveness is really important. I remember one time the closest thing that um, I experienced to betrayal. I think that my friend felt betrayed by me first and foremost. But in my opinion, like I hadn't done anything to him. He just had an expectation of me that I felt like was unfair, <laughs> and so then he lashed out at me, which I felt like was betraying me. So it was like a, I think it was there's some miscommunication involved in both. Um, but yeah, in order for you to necessarily, I think I think Megan, you just like you nailed it with the they have to they have to be, um, they have to have some level of admittance that they hurt you, right? Like yeah. that they did betray you. Um, and I remember it, it took a long time for the two of us to recover from it. And, I, and honestly, we never fully recovered. We're fine now. But like, I don't hang out with this guy as much as I would have back in the day. And a lot of that is just because I, you know, I don't think he felt like it was that big of a deal. And I did feel like it was a big deal. Um, and I felt like his reaction was not fair to what was supposed to be my... Um, my betrayal of him, if you will, right? So these things are tough, but I do believe that you hit the nail on the head when you said, yeah, it's got to be about forgiveness. It's got to be about in, in, in acceptance of responsibility from both parties. And then you can finally move on from that. And in the Star Wars context, I think we get that when we see what Lando sacrifices to be able to keep Leia and Chewie and the droids um, to keep them alive and to, and to be able to transition them back into the rebellion. And then his continued um, support of the rebellion, despite the fact that that's not easy for him to do. So even though it seems like a betrayal on its face, we even then learn in, in empire that like, well, I'm only doing this because I think it's the best for your friends, even though I'm betraying you Han. So Certainly a complex take on it, but um, I think they do a really good job of handling it and then a really good job of showcasing how those two characters ultimately come back to a shared goal and are able to make amends because of what um, because of what Lando does to not only explain himself, but then go on to change 
uh, and and save them in, in other ways, including coming back to save Han, which is awesome. Yeah. Lando, uh, you know, he gets strong-armed into this situation in the first place. Exactly. Um, and makes what he perceives as the best choice, given the circumstances, um, because it's not exactly like he can call Han ahead of time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Or, um, you know, and, and, um, and then he spends the rest of, uh, you know, the time of the original trilogy trying to make amends. And, yeah, I feel like if, if he had just hung everybody out to dry, then, you know, there wouldn't have been any sympathy for him you know, when, when our, our trio comes back together um, or whether or not they would have even been able to come back together at all. Um, but as a character, he would have gotten zero sympathy from the audience if he wasn't constantly trying to make amends for that betrayal. Exactly, exactly. Hey guys, pardon my brief interruption here, but do you need a new pair of headphones? If you do, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Urban Vinyl. They make premium wood headphones that look amazing. But here's the thing, they're made by audiophiles for audiophiles, so they sound as good as they look. In fact, reviewers have called their headphones the best headphones on the market. Better even than Bose and Beats. And you know what? I agree. They're what I use when I record this podcast. Please consider purchasing a pair using the link in the show notes. If you click the link to their website and use the promo code J, my name, my first name, J-A-Y, super simple, you save 15% and Urban Vinyl will make a donation to the Reclamation Society. So if you need headphones or you're looking to upgrade the pair that you currently have, definitely take a look at what Urban Vinyl has to offer. Click the link in the show notes to visit their website and use my name, J-A-Y, to get the 15% discount. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Now, let's get back to the show. So question number 13. Uh, we get this big reveal, right? Vader is Luke's father. My question for you guys, um, starting with Daryl, is how is that pivotal to the Star Wars films? Why is it important? What implications does this create for our characters? Like, tell me about this. Tell me about this father-son relationship um, that we learn about here. I think it's crucial. I think it's the whole through line to the Star Wars universe. I mean, there's so much cool stuff about the Star Wars universe. There's cool ships. There's great world building. There's awesome characters. There's great battles. Um, but I don't think you would care about any of that stuff mm. without the Skywalker through line, mm. you know? And you even see it today. Like, we have Ray. We don't know who what Ray's parentage is, but everybody's dying to know, you <laughs> right. know? Is she a Skywalker? Is You know, what <laughs> right. What the heck is Ray doing? So it has everything to do with it. And I think, <clears throat> kind of like I was mentioning on one of the earlier questions, it's... To me, it's what makes this movie interesting is how they connect all of these characters and the whole saga interesting, mm. which I think maybe that's yet another reason that I didn't like the prequels because the interpersonal connections in those movies is terrible. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. It's just so poorly done. And so I think it's absolutely crucial. And it, you know, in this movie that's famous for being the perfect portrayal of good versus evil right it makes everything so gray and so right. complicated but still kind of not mm. you know it's like it creates this reason to hope that there's good within evil and right. you can find that it's not just about vanquishing it it's about redeeming it 
and it's about making something better. Absolutely. What about you, Megan? Um, yeah, I, I think it's in, uh, first, I'm going to preface this by saying, man, do I envy everybody who got to see these movies sequentially <laughs> 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 to really get the full impact of it. Um, because even before I watched Return of the Jedi, um, you know, Luke, I am your father is a, po uh, a pop culture touchstone. So, man. I am so envious of anybody who got the full impact of that reveal, and uh, I think it's one of the big reasons why I hate spoilers now as an adult. I'm like, <laughs> oh man! <laughs> I saw a YouTube video of a dad showing his little girl Empire for the first time. Yeah, and her reaction to that was priceless. <laughs> That's awesome. She's kind like, of, oh, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> kind of equally priceless is also. People have uh, started recording um, people who are watching the prequels before they before they get to the original trilogy because you know nobody knows what order to actually watch the movies in, um, and the reveal of Anakin becoming Darth Vader of like arise Darth Vader like people have started recording those reactions as well because everybody knows Darth Vader but not everybody knows that Anakin is Darth Vader. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So a lot of people have been like what mind blown <laughs> <laughs> um, about that too but um, neither here nor there. Luke being um, the son of Darth Vader is extremely important in the Star Wars canon because the original trilogy um, and the prequels are all about the Skywalker lineage. And, um, you know, it's, it's very Shakespearean and, and has an air of Greek tragedy to it uh, as well. Um, but not only that, uh, not only does that whole familial connection tie into these notions of redemption and Luke's own kind of morally gray relationship with the force I think it really ties into the the themes of Empire which is you know forget everything you think you know because you know you have to unlearn everything you think you know because as far as both Luke and the audience knows you know the rebels are the good guys the Empire, you know, are the bad guys, and Darth Vader is a bad guy that needs to be stopped. And finding out that Darth Vader is the father of our hero throws all of that into question in terms of, like, what do we think is right and wrong? Like, everything we thought was true is actually a lie. Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is this, you know, pinnacle of goodness in, in the life of our young hero, like, he's a liar at the end of the day. And it's like, how can we trust anything that Obi-Wan told us if he was withholding that very pivotal truth? Um, and so uh, it, it completely pulls the rug out from underneath our characters and ties into sort of the bleak notion of the end of this film. And so I, I think it's one of the most important, if not the most important moment in the Star Wars original trilogy. Yeah, piggybacking off of what you've both said, just about the the connections and family and what that means for the series, one of the things I think that it does that is really fascinating is that we like to picture heroes and villains in very black and white 
sort of ways, right? And that's the way that Luke is introduced to Darth Vader. And everything that happens to him is like, it just, it just, it just proves that that's probably true. This person, I'm able to take them and say, they're not a person. They wear a mask. He has a cape. He kills everybody. Like, it's not, this is not a person. But then when that person is your dad, how does that reshape? How does that reframe your experience of not only who villains really are, but also who we really are and what possibilities we have? And I think he sees that because he sees that in that little vignette of him entering the cave mm-hmm. when he goes to see like, oh, you can become the same villain yeah. that you don't know yet, but he's your father. <laughs> you can become that same villain. Um, and so I think that that gives us a more sophisticated picture of what's right and wrong. And it's not until it's not until that moment that we have Vader learning that he has a son and we have Luke learning that the most preeminent evil in the universe is his father. And it's not until that moment that I think we'd have any concept that Vader would ever be capable of turning from the dark side to the light side. And so talk about a pivotal moment. It's just like you guys are talking about in in a saga, in a, in a saga about a family, what better moment to reveal that? Um, and I actually agree that like I really am bummed out by the people who see the films in different orders <laughs> because like this moment is so <clears throat> good and you know I know that the prequels don't necessarily ruin the moment per se but they certainly take a lot of the punch out of it any any final thoughts on that particular question I think it's interesting to me how if you look at the force awakens and you look at sort of the shift, like the flipping that they've done with the light and the dark side, mm. how you have Kylo who feels like he's being seduced by the light side Oh yeah, and truly believes that the dark side is right. Yeah. If you sort of take that back and apply it to Vader, which it's, there's probably some of that there. Yeah. Because you have to think that he's an intelligent person and isn't just being evil for the sake of being evil. There's got to be something that he believes in. Right then that makes it even more gray. And if you were to even go so far as to take the words dark and light out of it, like then what would it feel like? Right. Like it feels like good versus evil because we're told the light side and the dark side. Right. You know, he says, join me on the dark side. (laughs) Right. Well, what if it was join me on the left side? You know, (laughs) it would just be so different. Yeah, I know. No kidding. Well, we have come to our final question. The final question comes from Megan. And it's a great question. Um, This film ends, in Megan's words, with bleakness. Um, And I'm going to have Megan address this first. But what does this? What does that mean for how we view film? Was how did this impact our our viewership of things like this? How did this break our expectations? What do you think, Megan? Well, again, this is one of those things where I I really wish I could have seen them in. In, in order, in the proper order, um, which is, you know, episodes four, five, and six. I, I wish I could have seen them in that order. Um, but, eh, neither here nor there. <laughs> Can't change the past. Um, but uh, this ending in particular, and this is one of, one of the reasons, like, this ties into what I said at the, at the top of the show, in that, that A New Hope is the best standalone film. Mm-hmm. But in the context of a trilogy, Empire Strikes Back is the best chapter 
and you, I, I don't, I'm having a hard time thinking about trilogies um, predating Star Wars. Like, I have a hard time thinking about, like, I know that there were plenty of movie sequels and franchises um, in the studio system, but I'm having a hard time, like, picking out a particular franchise and trilogy that has withstood the test of time in the way that Star Wars has. And one of the, the ways that it has withstood that test of time is with how good Chapter 2 is. And Chapter mm. 2, again, has all of that forward momentum that a good um, extension of a story should have. Like, this is an extension of A New Hope. It's not reach. As much as I love, and I love The Force Awakens, I love The Force Awakens, but the biggest criticism that everybody has is, of course, it's just A New Hope. Um, right. Again, like, almost beat for beat. And again, don't get me wrong, I love it. I'm not ragging on The Force Awakens. I adore that movie. But... Um, but I think we can all acknowledge that that's that film's biggest weakness is just hitting all of those story beats um, almost almost beat for beat the entire way through. Uh, and so, like, that's something that Empire does so well is that it's not re-hitting all of... It's not just uh, A New Hope again. It's mm. moving the story forward, and it's moving it into a dark place. And it's moving it into a place where the person that Luke has has sought out to, to teach him the ways of the Force is saying, eh, yeah, maybe let your friends die. That's, you know, that'll probably be for the best. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and being told he's wrong when he wants to, you know, go and save them. And, you know, and ultimately he sort of fails to save them. Like Han gets carted off. At the end of this movie, uh, you know, we, we've seen a lot of great character progression, but at the end of the movie, um, Han is carted away, Lando has lost everything, um, Leia is desperately clinging to the only family she has left, um, uh, you know, and, then, and again, at this time, she doesn't know he's family, but like, again, the found family, the family that they've made for themselves is the only family she has left. Um, and Luke's entire, you know, after seeing the man of, um, that she's fallen in love with get carted off to, um, to this mobster who, like, who Lord knows what Jabba the Hutt's plans for him are. Um, and then Luke's entire worldview has been, pull, you know, he's had the rug pulled out from under him. He was basically faced with the realization that he probably made the wrong choice and is now living with the consequences. He's lost a hand. He's found out that his mentor from the previous film lied to him and it's thrown his entire, and that his father is one of the biggest malevolent forces in the galaxy that they've been working so hard to try to combat. And so it's, it's the complete opposite of the ending of A New Hope, where you're just filled with hope and optimism at the end of A New Hope. You are filled with dread, with an underlying sense of hope, of like, well, hopefully things will work out. <laughs> but like, <laughs> it's looking really bleak and dire. And I would say that the Star Wars franchise is no stranger to bleak endings, 
Um, like, like I said, there's a very Shakespearean <laughs> and Greek tragedy element to it. Um, Attack of the Clones and with all of the Jedi <laughs> getting murdered. Um, the Rogue One, of course. I, I would say that Rogue One is probably the, the only ending that is potentially bleaker than, um, than uh, Empire Strikes Back. Oh, by, by virtue of just the fact that literally everyone dies. Um, <laughs> But in terms of the original trilogy, yeah, this is the bleakest ending um, that in the original trilogy, and it's it's really difficult to kind of see these characters that you you've grown to love ultimately fail by the time the credits roll. Um, and so I I love that just sense of impending dread, but underlying hope. And I think that that's something, again, that carried really well into the beginning of Return of the Jedi. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what do you think, Tara? Well, first of all, let me respond to the Force Awakens thing so I can champion that. <laughs> please, please do, because I hate when people rag on the Force Awakens. Because I hear that criticism a lot. And, I, and it's okay. I mean, you know, we all, we all have our opinions. That, that's what makes all these things so fun to talk about. But... <clears throat> The argument that I've heard for that is that they made it similar to A New Hope as a way of reminding people where this all started exactly. and reconnecting it to the original trilogy It was in it a was, lot of ways for new fans. Yeah. It was just a way of saying, these aren't the prequels anymore, guys. Yeah, We're making yeah, totally. Star Wars again. So, right. sorry, go go ahead. I didn't mean to say yeah, yeah. I just want to and reiterate think... how much I am on board with what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And I think that that just, I think that was a good way to go because A, it captured the feel of a Star Wars movie beautifully, way better than the prequels did, and the prequels were made by the same guy. Mm. And... And then B, I think it's good to take people back to that type of an arc and to start there again. So the real test is going to be The Last Jedi. Yeah. If yeah. The Last Jedi is just a retread of Empire, then then I'll start making criticisms then, too. <laughs> then, then we know we're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then we know that like, oh boy, oh no, this is bad. Totally. <laughs> but as far as Empire goes, it's interesting because... You're right, it does end bleak, and it does end dark, and yet, I think, if some alien or some person who had been living under a rock for their whole lives came to me and said, what is a movie? I would say, oh, go watch this. Go watch Empire Strikes Back. Mm. That's probably what I would do, even though it doesn't have your traditional ending, because it just... You know, what What do you look for in movies? Comedy, drama, action, adventure, suspense, terror. All of those things are in this movie and done so well. But I do think, like you were saying, I think, I think one of the reasons it's hard to think of trilogies before Star Wars is because I feel... I'm sure there were trilogies before Star Wars, but I feel like Empire literally did create the template for how to make a trilogy yeah i mean it's a formula that's been essentially ripped off by so many movies now totally. nowadays and um, in some cases very well in yep. other cases you get back to the future 2 and the matrix reloaded but you know hey, hey, hey. Is good, i let's, love back to the future 2 yeah. but let's it's a little heavy-handed about back to the future <laughs> that we yeah. can't take back 
<laughs> uh, but oh, no. come on. Put Back to the Future 2 I, up against the first one? I actually feel like I the... Love... Uh, I, I, I agree, but Back to the Future 2 is the first one I saw out of that trilogy, so that one's my oh, favorite. <laughs> I know! What is with my parents not showing me any of these movies in the correct order? <laughs> um, but, uh, but for, yeah, for... for that like I feel like actually the best trill in terms of like trilogy like modern trilogies the the most I've seen it ripped off and kind of to the same degree successful um, is actually the um, the Hunger Games trilogy where the first is the best standalone story Catching Fire is the best chapter and oh. then Mocking Jay is the one that messes it all up. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Although, uh, obviously, Star Wars is far superior, and maybe comparing it to a young adult novel series isn't the best, but, but yeah, but, like, in terms of modern trilogies, that's the one that comes to my mind as the one that's being most Star Wars-like. Yeah. Yeah, but definitely it created this template of you have your first movie that is more of a holistic, complete story, have it end in a good place. Your second movie has to end in a dark place so that you can pay it off the third movie. Mm. And now in this world where we have, you know, franchises that are 19, 20 movies long, and I love the MCU, don't get me wrong, but nowadays people are making movies with the next movie in mind. Yeah, it's more Which in some cases is done well, but a lot of times it's frustrating. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of mentally... I, I love the MCU as well, and I, I'm definitely a big proponent of a lot of things in it, but, like, it's kind of exhausting when you look at a film not as a film, but as an episode. And, like, yeah. that is kind of disheartening. Like, I remember I remember the first time I really consciously had that thought about a movie, and it was, like, Rush Hour 3. Where it's like, I didn't feel like I walked out of a movie. I feel like I walked out of an extended episode of the yeah. Rush Hour TV show. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, and the MCU does feel that way. I think some of them are better at being holistic movies than others. Yeah. But, um, and there are pros and cons to both approaches. Totally. Sure. Totally. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's a heck of a lot of fun to know that there's something else coming after the movie you're watching. And to be like, oh, well, now where is it going to go? And to you know? have all the context prior to it as well. Yeah. But it's also really, really satisfying to go see one movie that wraps up its entire story. It's yeah. just like, you I'm know? a movie, beginning, middle, end, done. I'm yeah. a classic. Love me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think one of the things that um, when it comes to the ending of Empire Strikes Back, I think it harkens back to the Shakespearean era where the term tragedy was a part of our cultural lexicon of what a story was. And I think one of the things that we have seen in more recent years, particularly with geek films that are blockbusters, are that we've kind of lost touch with what a tragedy is. And I think if we say... I mean, one of the reasons we do this podcast, right? I, ha- I ha- actually had a, um, a comic book artist who listened to our podcast because we were talking about his comic book. And he, um, and he goes, wow, you guys are like listening to a great book club. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, who was that? Mitch Dratz, okay, the Sheriff of Babylon artist. I need to do an interview with him. Anyways, he... Um, and get him to hook you up with Tom King. 
yes, that too. That too. Yeah. Because I really want to meet him. Yeah, that'd be awesome. But one of the things that, when he talks about that, one of the things that I really liked about that, because at first I was like, book club? I don't know if I'm a book club, dude. Um, but part of what I really liked about that was, I I believe, and there's neuroscience that backs this up, that stories are what inform us about how the world works. We interpret and understand the world around us through storytelling. And I think a lot of times our stories just encourage us to escape. And when we escape, I don't think we always stop to consider like, what did that story actually just, how did it make me feel? What did it make me think? Like, why do I feel the way I do leaving this story? And we don't have a lot of tragedies anymore. So the thing I, I mean, and I guess I sound like I'm super like, um, morose for saying this but like empire is my favorite and my second favorite is rogue one (laughs) like the two most tragic i mean with the exception of maybe revenge of the sith which is super tragic as well but it's not just that it's tragic it's also that it's good storytelling exactly good character development yep because you know you could watch a movie like like transformers again i'm not i'm not meaning to rag on something that you love megan but you watch a movie like transformers and Thousands upon thousands of people must be dying in this movie. And there's buildings falling everywhere. And there's all this terrible destruction. Right. But you don't think of that as a tragedy. Right. Because you're not connected to any of these people as characters. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> Yet when one guy gets put in a machine that freezes him into a brick. Yeah. That's it's devastating. heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. you care. Yeah. And I think there's something that tragedies tell us too, because and and none of them do, does it better. I have not. One of the reasons I love Rogue One so much, and I, and we talked about this in the Rogue One podcast, but it leaves you with, and and Megan, you actually mentioned this earlier. It leaves you with this tragic end, but it's so hopeful at the same time. And you have a guy like this is why I love um, Chirrut. Uh, to, somebody, uh, the people on the po- that podcast, Shannon and Hannibal, were pronouncing it um, Chirut. I'm like, is that how oh, it's pronounced? Yeah. I actually don't know how it's pronounced. But I'm going to say Chirut because that's what I'm comfortable with. Um, you have a guy who believes so much in what he's doing. I'm one with the Force and the Force is with me. He believes in it so much that he's willing, and all of, all of them really, are willing to sacrifice their own lives because they believe they're part of a bigger picture that results in the in a hope for mankind. And I don't think there's any better way to showcase hope than in tragedy. Yeah. Because we can actually feel the feels, but also go, but this is part of something bigger. And yeah. I know that there's redemption coming out of this. And I think that that's fantastic. And I feel like it's a lost art of the modern cinema. Yeah. <laughs> so the fact that we can still see it in Star Wars and that Star Wars is kind of leading some of that, at least for blockbusters, yeah. I think is just fantastic. And I, I love the fact that we end with this moment of like, wow, do, should I despair? Yeah. Well, and a lot of people have asked, did we need Rogue One? Like, yeah. is it necessary to the Star Wars universe? Right. And I think it is because none of the other movies have showcased the level of heroism that really exists in the rebellion to the degree that that movie did. Uh, that's true. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. <clears throat> Absolutely. we get to see the, we get to see a lot of the other characters live and have their victorious moments and make it out. But this is where you see the true, deep, sacrificial heroism behind what drives these people. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Um, well, we're going to close out the podcast. I want, I do, uh, want Megan, I do want to give you a chance to talk about some of the stuff that you're currently working on, some of the stuff that you're involved in, tell the people where they can find you and follow you and connect and all that good stuff. Where can we as story geeks check out what you're up to? Um, well, I do a ton of shows on an after, uh, on a network called after buzz TV. Um, as I, uh, you know, mentioned to you guys at the top of the show, I do one for Star Wars Rebels and uh, Transformers Robots in Disguise, but I'm also on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Attack on Titan, um, Voltron's coming back soon. Uh, that literally, I, I've been on so many shows on that network, even I have trouble keeping track. Um, <laughs> but I, I also have my own youtube channel uh that i refer to as silver screams where my roommate and i talk about horror movies um where she she's not a big fan of horror movies but i am and so that's kind of fun getting those two perspectives on um on movies and we have a series called uh, horror q a where i see a scary movie and she asks me questions about it because she she doesn't want to watch them <laughs> um, but we also do like vlogs and, and trailer reactions and we've got some i i haven't had time to edit some of the stuff i'm working on um because it's, life has just been super busy so uh I, I there's going to be some fun stuff uh up on my channel once once that comes around and i've got I've got a couple podcasts in the work, but I don't really want to say too much about that because the I don't know when is a good time to announce them because um, because they're still like still still stuff in the work. So uh, I've got a couple podcasts coming up, but um, uh, follow me on Twitter uh, to get like further updates on that. Um, and, and you can do that at the the Menguin. That's T H E M E N G U I N. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Um, but, uh, one other thing I'm also doing is I do the voice of, uh, Margot Lane on a fan recreation of the, the Shadow Radio series from back in the day. Mm-hmm. We, cool. we did a couple lost episodes, um, for, from, you know, things that have never actually, where the original performances either were never done or, or they've been lost to time. We did a few lost episodes this past season and season two just started back up. So, uh, if you're a fan of old-timey radio and uh, you want to hear me do my best to try to act, feel free to go ahead and check that out. And I also write articles for the movie Chick. That's Chick with two Ks. So you should check all of that fun stuff out. I don't think you're busy enough. I yeah, you, you have more no free plate. time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also have a day job. <laughs> oh, nice. Wow, wow. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, it's super fun to have you. Um, and in the meantime, go check out all of Megan's stuff. Go check out her YouTube channel. Uh, you heard her talk about it. It sounds awesome. I'm actually going to go look at it for sure. I like the horror movie idea. Yeah, it's Asking great. questions about the movie you haven't seen. Oh, the, That's fantastic. I, I will <laughs> say the, the first one to watch, uh, definitely watch The Mummy. Um, I've got another one coming up uh, for It Comes at Night. But um, The Mummy, it, it's, I forgot to mention, she eats popcorn and I drink whiskey. And uh, <laughs> I, 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 nice. I kind of forgot to mention that's that's a key component of um, <laughs> of the horror Q and A series. So, how much whiskey do you drink? Like, do your answers get more in, more entertaining throughout the course De- of the show? Depends, <laughs> depends on the movie, and we haven't done very many of them right right oh, okay. now. It's really just been the the one. Um, but because it was the the 2017 version of the Mummy, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I need it so much. 
That is it for today's podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe. And if you have an extra minute, write us a review or share this episode with one of your geek friends. All right, fellow geeks, as always, question everything in your favorite stories and always seek the truth. We'll catch you on the next podcast.